0: Ah, it's been a very, very busy week and today I plan on watching three football matches which I haven't done for an extremely long time Um, and that feels really, really nice. I think that's probably just about the biggest luxury for me at the moment or like the feeling where I'm like, this is leisure. I remember chatting to one of my friends about that a little while ago actually about thinking about what are the things that you do where you just associate them with leisure and I think at the time we said like going for a swim that was quite a, just like feels like I'm doing that because I have the time to do it and it's a nice thing to do as opposed to oh, fuck kind of squeeze that in cram that in yeah I'll well, do that on the way to there or on the way back from that I can do that that was one. For me at the moment, watching football at home is absolutely that. That's like the pinnacle of of just having time to sit for a couple of hours. Um, and yeah, we've got some good games. I think Chelsea, Arsenal will be pretty interesting. Um, some tactical stuff to get out of that, which will be good. I'm quite keen to see um, Emery line up against Man United. Well, team that Emery's coaching line-up against Man United I'm quite I'd like to see some more of of uh, Ramsey uh, Villa midfielder I think I think he's great but I haven't watched him enough so I'm excited to do that and then Spurs-Liverpool which that game last year I think it was around this sort of time maybe it was a bit later in the year as well the 2-2 one where <laughs> Kane had that tackle I remember on Twitter it was someone had put basically Kane had the tackle and he probably should have had a red card and someone on Twitter had put something like uh, yeah the Kane tackle looks really bad but once you've seen the replay you can clearly see that he's the England captain which I thought was very funny not sure how they'll go but I'm excited to, to watch them nonetheless um, I think the reason it's been such a busy week and it kind of caught up with me on Thursday. Uh, was I was on my B license Monday to Wednesday, which was brilliant. The first three days, that block one, um, have really, really got me excited about coaching and ideas for practice design and how to make things relevant for eleven v eleven football and the details that you can give to primary players and secondary players. And if when you're planning practices, what do you have to get? What might you get? What would it be nice to get? When do you step in and coach versus let them play? If you're going to stop, do you speak to everyone? Or can you speak to players as the game's going on and just pull them out? Like, all that sort of stuff I'm really, really into. Um, and having a chance to explore that for three days was, was really, really good. Um, I'm also booked onto my uh, national goalkeeper course. 23rd, I think it is, November. Um, which I'm really excited about. That's <clears throat> the coaching that I'm really, well, I'm doing a fair bit of it, but I do really like it, coaching the goalies. Um, and yeah, the outfield B license will allow me to do my goalie B license as well, which would be good, um, but I need to not get ahead of myself and just remember that like the, the process is for learning. Like There's no point getting to the end of it if I haven't learned stuff and developed and got better. So that is the plan. This uh, chat with Aiden is to kind of get you, get me, get us ready for the World Cup. Um, it's a really, really good read, The Nearly Men. It's about the teams that Aiden thinks deserve a mention despite not winning uh, the World Cup. The, the eternal allure of the greatest teams that failed to win the World Cup. Um, and there's... Twelve chapters. The, the Netherlands are in there loads, but uh, one of the Netherlands chapters is combined seventy-four and seventy-eight. They're in there as, as one chapter. Um, the earlier bits were like history lessons for me, which I always really really enjoy, and mm. like the context, especially off the back of having read some earlier books about football tactics, um, like Inverting the Pyramid, and even some of the stuff in uh, John's book that John Driscoll who I had on last week. Um, about like initial playing formations really really interesting um, but the yeah most fun stuff for me was the kind of Cruyff onwards bits um, and then thinking about 1998 um, and 2014 really really good also gets you um, just makes you remember players which I think is like part of the joys of being a football fan is like having memories of certain players and certain teams so I loved it um, Aidan, thanks so much for coming on. Hope, I uh, hope you've managed to, manage to enjoy the fact that you've written a really, really good book about the tournament. Um, sorry, you've written a really, really good book and during the tournament you're able to enjoy it. Um, I think we'll have some England-specific stuff um, as we get closer. Um, and maybe once we've got a bit of an idea about who's going to be in this final squad at this point, not announcing 55 players and it's pure speculation. Not sure it does much. Um, but the closer we get, the more we'll be able to do. Um, enjoy the chat with Aiden, and I'll catch up with you next week. Uh, Aiden, thanks so much for, for taking the time to come on. Just before we started recording, I said this has like got me excited about the World Cup. I wondered if you are there yet.
1: Not quite, I don't think, because it, it feels like we've got no the normal lead into it isn't there, is it? You know, normally we'd have, we'd already be into the a few weeks of preparation and friendlies by now. Uh, uh, fine tuning ahead of the tournament, we'd be worrying about metatarsals and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but this time around, it's just regular season going on as it should be at this time of year. And so, no, it, it does feel slightly odd that there's a World Cup only um, a few weeks or days away. Um, it, it doesn't seem quite right um i think it will suddenly ramp up in the last few days before it but again that will feel weird as well so the whole the whole fact that it's just one week from the premier league ending to the world cup starting is absolutely bizarre and we can thank fifa qatar corruption and all sorts of things for that um but <laughs> I guess it'll it'll suddenly ramp up at the last minute and we'll feel a bit more like it. Once it kicks off, I don't think the anticipation will be quite the same as it would do normally, uh, because of that. Um, there's also, you know, it it just feels wrong as well with the time of year. Uh, I think that feeds into it too. But, you know, once the football started, I think we'll all suddenly click back into gear and <laughs> it'll be just like just like always. We need to get more into the zone. So let's let's just talk about World Cups
0: yeah yeah for sure i think even like on uh on monday went to go and have a drink there's a pub down the road from me that's just been like renovated and they've put up like huge massive tellies and i was like oh this could be a this could be like a good winter world cup spot and just the idea of like kind of settling into like a, a cozy pub just feels really strange for watching international football. <laughs> um but no, um, there's well, not hopefully... going
1: to be the outdoor the outdoor things with beer flying everywhere, is it? It's not yeah, quite like that.
0: <laughs> unless we're chucking unless we're chucking mold wine in each other's eyes. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really I don't really see it happening. Oh, well, um, it could
1: catch on. You never know. You never know. Yeah,
0: you, you never know. Um, would you be able to just I guess explain like the the premise of the book
1: and why you wanted to write it? The, the premise of the book it's it's a celebration, I guess, of some of the great teams from the World Cups in the past who who didn't win. Because there's some terrific stories there, some terrific teams and and great tales that I think uh, deserve to be told or or good to tell, because there's a lot of fascinating things there. It's, I guess, inspired by a comment Johan Cruyff made um, about his team in 1974, the Dutch side, uh, where he said that he thinks the world remembers his team more. Uh, Maybe they were the real winners. and. You know, okay, they didn't lift the trophy, so I guess not not the actual winners. But in a sense, I, I I get what he means because i I think that's true. His team is remembered more than the team that beat them because of the way they play, because of the style, the revolutionary revolutionary approach, the way they looked, uh, the way they acted. there was so much about it that appealed to to so many people. And that has left them caused them to live on for so many decades for so many people or people who weren't even alive at that time, know a lot about that team, a lot about how great they were, a lot about the great characters and players in it. Do they know as much about the team that beat them? I really don't think so. So I think he's he's correct in a way. Uh, and so there are there are obviously a number of other teams that... that maybe fit that category to a greater or lesser degree than that Dutch side. But that's what this book is about, it, it's looking at those because it, it kind of pains me in a way that sometimes, you know, the the what ifs, the, the injustices that we all feel and see when we're watching and playing football, uh, things don't pan out the way we want quite often. <laughs> and we, we feel a, a, a sort of sharp pang of, of pain when that happens now if that's about a team we we like and support then you know that it's all the all the more but if it's about a team that's appealed on a on a sort of base level of um how they play how how good they were the style the manner or just simply something that we perceive as an injustice maybe that that sort of just it feeds into your into your mind it sticks there it, it, you can't get it out and and you want you want things to be right so this is a little way of celebrating some of the teams who who fell short for various reasons. There's always something that, that uh, gives them an extra value, I think. So it doesn't have to be the revolutionary style or uh, a hard luck story like with the Dutch in 74. Maybe it's just pure beauty or maybe it's um, affecting how that country perceives itself or some sort of lasting legacy of some kind. Uh, that has lived on through the ages uh, and has made us think of these teams sometimes more than the, the, the actual winners. The World Cup, you know, it's a small sample size. There's only a few games. Uh, and it, when you're in the knockout rounds especially, you know, it can easily go wrong. Uh, and the best team or what we perceive as the best team or what makes us happiest doesn't always win. You know, the outcome isn't always what we want. So I guess it's it's part of uh, dealing with the injustice you sometimes feel in your own mind, whether, you know, people have different views on, on who should and shouldn't win, but, you know, these are some of the ones in my mind, inspired in part by Johann Cruyff and his team of the 70s, where he said, perhaps the world remembers our team more. Um, and because I think he's right, he, the, the world does remember his 74 team more than the team that beat them that West Germany side, which was a very good side as well. But, you know, his side, their approach, their, their sort of, their, their cool look, their style, their revolutionary uh, style of play... That's remembered far more than the team that beat them. So, yes, they've left a much bigger legacy than the winners. Other people may cite Brazil in 82 or people will hark back to the Hungary of the 50s. But there, there are other teams that I've picked out as well that I think deserve celebrating and deserve a mention because, as I say, things can quickly go wrong in a World Cup. One game, take Hungary in the 50s, you know, they, they won every game for years and years and years except for that one in a World Cup final. That doesn't change the fact that they were the best team in the world for a long, long time. Uh, a cup competition can go like that. Uh, misfortune, weather, uh, an incident here or there can change the path of, uh, of football history. So this was a celebration to right a few wrongs in my mind, I guess. As much as the pain is still there, I, you know, even for these ones that I wasn't necessarily alive for or even sore because uh, I was too young. Um <laughs> researching them and looking at them you still feel a bit irritated that the right outcome in my mind didn't happen uh, and so this is in part therapy and it's in part celebrating those teams to make sure their stories are told I think the stories deserve to be told a lot of the world cup things that we'll see in the, in the coming weeks or we often see in the lead up to tournaments uh often focuses on who lifted the trophy and who won uh there'll be various things about world cups past that 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 end up on, on TV in the week or so ahead of this Qatar tournament. And it'll be a lot of people lifting the trophy. And in some cases, yeah, sure, celebrate those, you know, that, but unless it's a victory of the scale of Brazil 1970, which you know is unsurpassed as a team, or Maradona winning it for Argentina in 86. You know, unless it's on that scale, then I don't think the other winners of the World Cup are um, are, are as great a stories as many of these who didn't win. Mm.
0: So you referenced just then, '86 Argentina and '1970 Brazil. When I was like, when you open the contents, when you open to the contents page in the book, you've basically got the list of all the chapters and all the th- tournaments. Yeah. And I noticed straight away that there's some tournaments that don't have teams there. So I was wondering, <laughs> is that because you think the right team won the tournament that
1: year? In many cases, yes. Um, so yeah, exactly. There's no chapter on '1970. I I could have talked, say, people will talk about that England team being a great one, or you could also look at that Italy or West Germany sides who were very, very strong. But to really claim that um, they were a bit hard done by, I don't think so. Um, Others, it's potentially just that the story didn't appeal so much. You know, I could easily, and I talk about this a little in the intro, I think, to the book of, I could easily have talked about the teams, that the two teams that have lost a World Cup final on penalties That's Italy in 94 and France uh, in 2006, when you can't get much closer to victory uh, and and to miss out than being in a penalty shootout in the final. Um, But the stories just weren't quite as compelling. That that sort of narrative didn't quite hit home as much because I'm I'm also trying to to focus, so not just on hard luck, I guess, but also on some sort of legacy, be that... uh, great football or a change in approach a change in style something that's grabbed people's attention or or in some cases has changed the the way a whole nation views itself or things like that so I was trying to hook on to some sort of extra some something additional and therefore it didn't quite lead into to to do for every tournament equally if if I'd gone in for more chapters each one would have had to be in a bit shorter as well, and therefore would have had less less space to devote to them. Uh, and it was hard enough as it is to chop them down to size. So <laughs> I, I couldn't say they were more worthy of telling the Brazil 82 side. You know, that, that was the, the bigger story to me of that one, the, the way they played, the the way they're thought about. So yeah, teams have missed out for various reasons, uh, as have some tournaments. But um you say about the right winner, though, obviously Argentina or Maradona in 86 I would claim as yeah the right winner but I still do a chapter on 86 and that's because there's a team there the Denmark team that just grabbed me so much would they have won it I don't know it would have been lovely to see a a Denmark Argentina semi-final if they both if, if Denmark had got to that I think that would have been fabulous uh it would have been so so entertaining but I guess we'll never know
0: it also sounds really silly but like I really like how you kind of lay out that this is subjective like you kind of talk about this, like this is from my perspective, like as me, one person watching yeah, yeah. football, the way I like football. And I think so often with the kind of like, I guess the nature of the way that fans support their teams, it's like this was unjust because this happens to me. Whereas you're coming at this from like the perspective of all these countries and all these like potentially like legacy defining moments for certain players that go wrong. I just really like the way that you said,
1: well, this is just what I think. Exactly. I know. <laughs> it's partly to ward off all the complaints. <laughs> of, Why didn't you include this? And I've, I've still got so many people have come up and said, well, you should have had this to you. Well, I don't agree on that one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you can never be exact. I think there's only a few that people will totally agree on that would, would deserve <laughs> to be in this. And then beyond that, it's, it's down to personal opinion. And uh, yeah, opinions massively, massively vary <laughs> on this subject. And that's why I also don't get into who's the greatest because nobody will ever agree. And, and yeah, it yeah. also it slightly isn't isn't the point, I guess, because it, it doesn't matter to me anyway.
0: It's an important point. And I think what you just said there about how like even the, the kind of arguments or discussions around who the greatest is, who the best is. That's the sort of thing that like it's important that there are different opinions and that that's like, it's it's great to have that chat with fans of different countries or fans of different players. Um I think that really 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 is important you said also like in some ways it it doesn't matter who wins um i wonder then like to you what are the things that do matter how do you go about deciding what those things are
1: in these cases i think it's about having something that that lasts i think victory it lasts for a little bit and then it moves on to someone else and unless it's done in the manner of those some of those teams that i mentioned earlier then that memory does really really last Uh. So I, th- I guess I'm sort of, I'm a, I'm a total football romantic, you know, that, that's, what, that's what it's all about for me, uh, you know, except for when it's me and my teams, you know, I want my teams to win, I don't massively care how they do it, they, they never do win, but you know. Uh, however, when it comes to these things, when, when you're looking at the rest of the world and you just want to be entertained, you want to be given some sort of joy and pleasure, I don't want to just simply see victory for the sake of victory. So I, I'm looking for something more, something that lasts longer, something that's a legacy, something that has an impact. That could be in any number of ways, you know, a, a change in approach, just sheer beauty, artistry. Um, it could just be something that changes how people perceive their own nation, their, their, their sort of identity in the world, or, or something like that. Something that enhances and goes beyond Purely football and purely victory.
0: The stuff you were saying about how when it's your team, <laughs> you like don't really mind how they win as long as they win, I think it's quite an interesting idea. So I'm a Spurs fan. So like for me, the kind of most, I guess, enjoyable time to be a Spurs fan was when we were with Pochettino and we, like every game, we were going to try and, play a certain way and doing certain thing and it was so much fun to be a fan during that period because we just like had this like feeling that we knew how, how like we knew what the plan was and how we were going to going to try and play um, and I look at us as kind of like that in that same category of like we nearly won something nearly did something but obviously the way that football gets talked about it's like well you didn't so you were rubbish um, so I resonated quite strongly with all the, all the countries. <laughs> I uh,
1: know. Yeah, I probably need to qualify it a bit. Is like, yes, I, I want to, like you, it's, it's most enjoyable when it's entertaining. I, I talk about my time mm-hmm. as a Newcastle fan, looking back to the Kevin Keegan era of the 90s. That was the most fun I've ever had as a Newcastle fan. That was, you know, we're playing magnificent, beautiful, attractive football and winning as well, up to the point where we didn't, obviously. <laughs> So a little bit of you then, when it's your own team, thinks, oh, if only for a little bit more pragmatism and we could have just lifted a trophy and you could have had all that nice and joy and then a little bit of trophy at the end would have been <laughs> lovely. But I guess with the passage of time, you look back on it and think, well, actually, no, it was it was kind of glorious anyway, gloriously tragic in a way. But there's, yeah. there's something endearing in that. Uh, but yeah, if it came to England in a World Cup uh, or Euros final... Uh, and you know, England got to a Euros final. Not particularly setting the world alight in their style of play. Did I particularly mind? Not massively, because I was quite happy with with them progressing through. I think yeah, yeah. Though, to, to to become a, a real great and to be actually remembered, it, it's got to be beyond simply winning. It's got to be with something extra special about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know how have you uh, have do you follow other sports other than football?
1: I do, yeah. Uh, rugby, I guess, is probably the the main other one.
0: Right. Okay. Do you follow any like the, the American sports? Basketball or like American football?
1: Oh, more NFL than basketball. Right. More uh, I'm NFL than basketball. In that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So Bill Simmons, I don't know if you know who that. Is he runs like a American well, predominantly American sports, but now like global sports kind of podcasting network. Anyway, about like 10 years ago, he wrote this big book about basketball. And uh, he, in that book, he had this idea of how a team could be critically acclaimed. Um, And it was basically like in the same way that like, I don't know, someone might get nominated for an Oscar but don't win it. Like the fact that you were Oscar nominated still really, really means something. So he has this stuff about yeah. how basketball teams in the NBA can be critically acclaimed. So there's like this team that basically revolutionized the way that like the speed of the game was played. So they played and tried to shoot within eight seconds of getting the ball. And that's the sort of stuff that like when you're describing totally. I think, uh, the Netherlands in particular, Netherlands seem to crop up quite a lot. There's a lot of <laughs> Netherlands in the book. That, the that's because they that, never win it. <laughs> yeah. The way that they play really, really reminded me of that, of just like, we're going to completely alter the way that you, as a fan, consume football.
1: No, that's a brilliant analogy, and that's absolutely right. I mean, In American sports, obviously, what, 30, 32 teams, and there's only one trophy, and it, it seems to stay with the same one for a little while sometimes, you know, they call it a dynasty, but the rest of the teams can't get a look in. And it's so few opportunities to actually win. Uh, And yeah, exactly right. This is a great way to be remembered another way, to change the game in some way, and it may not lead to victory. The Dutch is perfect uh, when it comes to the football for this. Sure, they they won a Euros in in the 80s with another uh, great peak of players, but when it comes to World Cup, there is an utter hard luck story from start (laughs) to finish. And yet we love watching the Dutch because of how they bring the joy on the field and in the stands. You know, it just, there's something fun about it. Brazil has, has the same, but they have the victory to go with it usually, yeah. uh, or more often anyway. Um, whereas the Dutch is this permanent hard luck story, but we love them anyway. And, and you're absolutely right. It, it's a different way of thinking. I think it's something in the Dutch uh, culture, the, the way the people are. Um, you know, David Winner in, in the book Brilliant Orange, fantastic book, and I draw a little bit on this in the 70s Dutch chapter, um, the way they, they, you know, a small country that's um, half underwater, you know, they've had to adapt, they had to make best use of space, they got to think a little differently, and that's come into their football as well. You know, it's all about space and movement and and uh, manipulating things to, to, to create the opportunity rather than, you know, the sort of blood and thunder that, you English and British football developed as. You know, theirs was all about constant movement, constant change, constant searching for space or creating the space uh, through a whole variety of ways. And that that's where it, it it goes on to another level beyond simply just playing the game. Uh, and that's why it, it would be so nice if they, if they won something like a, a World Cup at some point. But again, it's got to be in, in the right way. You know, they they got very, very close to winning the 2010 World Cup. Arjen Robin was was clean through on goal um, with like half hour 25 minutes to go in that game and Iker Casillas just got a, a, foot, a boot stud to the ball and nudged it wide had he scored then had the Netherlands won that World Cup that wouldn't have been <laughs> that just wouldn't have been right you know that team this is why that 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 team isn't uh, doesn't have it in the focus of a whole chapter you know that the way they played was the antithesis of everything that Dutch football is meant to be. Uh, there was no beauty or grace about it. There was nothing to hold on to. Uh, it, it, was, it was brutish in that final uh, against a team who were trying to keep the ball and manipulate a, a team who, whose inspiration, if you go back through their in, the, the past of the Spanish and, and Barcelona, it was all Johan Cruyff. That's where mm. that, their style that evolved from. Whereas the Dutch had gone a completely different way, and it just wasn't right. So I, I'm glad I'm glad Cassier saved that one and it missed <laughs> because that wouldn't have been right for the Dutch to finally get their World Cup trophy into coming that way. No, no, not having that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, you do have a chapter on the Netherlands in uh, in '98, though, and particularly the stuff yeah. like I remember that like, that's the first tournament that I can like really remember like watching and like loving. Like I've got. Probably false memories of 1994, but like 1998, I definitely remember it. Um, you talk about Dennis Burkamp a lot in that chapter, um, and I wondered maybe if you could, <laughs> I guess, just spend a couple of minutes talking about like why yeah. he was such a brilliant player and what he <clears throat> did for that team.
1: Well, firstly, you're making me feel old because my <laughs> first <of> all, <laughs> sorry 1988, 1982, but never mind. I'll, I'll let that one slide. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Bergkamp he's I mean he's a he's a successor of Cruyff in many ways I mean he was uh, coached by him of course at Ajax in his formative years as well um but he again is an expert user and manipulator of space he didn't quite revolutionize an entire team and and process in the way Cruyff did obviously uh but you know he's a he's a successor to that, that that line of lineage you know he 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 had all the grace, the elegance and, and the skills and the style. He had a brutish side to him as well. Um, you know, you can't have the light without the shade. Um, but, you know, him and that side, the way he was always striving for perfection, it seemed. And he's talked about this a lot as well. Uh, some of the goals he he scores or the manner he tried to... It, in his head, that was just the simplest way to score, you know, lobbing mm-hmm. the goal when, when he's partway through. That wasn't any great elaborate ruse by him or, you know, the, the, the great trick he did against Dabby's ass for new, against Newcastle, mm-hmm. my team. Um, a, a wonderful bit of invention, a wonderful goal. But in his, his mind, the, his thought process was just, well, what's the simplest way for me to get to the goal, get to score in this situation? It isn't that he's trying to do anything super special or elaborate. It just happens that way. Uh, And it's always seems to be about this search for perfection. And he himself says he found that perfection against Argentina in, uh, in 1998, Mm -hmm. that, that, that amazing goal that he scored. And it was only a few seconds and then perfections like that. It's gone. Um, I I love the fact that a minute or two before that he'd given the ball away, causing Argentina to go up the other end and nearly win the game. (laughs) The fact that a moment that had gone wrong then evolves into the most beautiful perfect moment. It just, just elevates it even further. He'd had another perfect moment in that match as well, setting up Clivevert's goal, which is incredible the way he sort of fell back as he cushioned a header into Cliveert's path perfectly to set him up for the for the first Dutch goal. It's uh, again the 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 way that team could play and they didn't do it enough, but the way that team could play was was back how the Dutch could and should be. Um, had Bergkamp been at his best in the semi-final, I think they would have... Well, they took Brazil to penalties as it was, restricted Ronaldo to one opportunity which he scored. But beyond that, they, they stifled him better than anyone else. Had they made it to the final, I think they would have beaten that France team. They they so nearly got past Brazil. We think of uh, the narrative of the 98 World Cup as being of, of France, you know, as the deserved wins and Zizan being the star. Well, beyond... He scored two headers in the final, but he didn't really do that much else in the World Cup. You know, he got himself sent off. He missed a few games. He wasn't the all-conquering hero that he would become mm-hmm. at that point. Yeah, it's his two goals in the World Cup final, mask it. But who was that against? That was a Brazil who were only there in body and not spirit. They'd been shattered by the Ronaldo situation. He may as well not be there. He probably shouldn't have been there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shouldn't have been playing. Uh but, you know, Brazil were never going to win that final. Had the Netherlands got through, uh, and yeah, likewise, had Brazil been uh, at full strength, I don't think France would have won. I don't think they were as good as they became in 2000. I think they, that particular iteration of the team peaked in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the 1998 World Cup final was there to be won by Brazil or as I would argue, the Netherlands who who could have got past that Brazil team so, so easily. It was a penalty shootout in the end. Yeah. I think they'd have beaten France. France, um, Desai, I think it was, has been quoted as saying he was far more fearful of facing the Dutch than he was Brazil. Yeah, now It's easy to say that with hindsight when they beat Brazil <laughs> comfortably. But, um, you know, it would have been interesting to see. And I think that was that was the opportunity for Dutch. And Bergkamp, like Baggio, I guess, he's one of these great, and Maldini's another one, one of these great international players who's just destined never to lift the trophy. You know His his story was one of repeatedly missing out and again missed out in 2000 uh, as the Dutch fell apart in, a, in another penalty shootout. Um, so yeah, it's a disappointment. But I think, again, he, in the way that the 2010 Dutch team was everything that Dutch football shouldn't be, Bergkamp espoused everything it should be Uh, and it it could so easily, it could so easily have been their moment in 98. I think that's possibly one that people might look at that I've written about and think, oh, why why have you picked that one? Why why not Brazil and talk about Ronaldo and his fit? Mm. Uh, Well, partly that's been done to death. It's a bit too obvious. But equally, the Dutch were just as good as Brazil. Um, They're the only team who, uh, well, sorry, in the latter stages, anyone gave them such a hard game, when Brazil at full strength um however that brazil team they would struggled. They, they'd lost to norway in the group game they edged past scotland they lost to norway um they they only seemed to do best against other south american teams you know they they thrashed chile but then they struggled against denmark again so they, they weren't that great they just had one player who was astonishingly great and take him away as they did in, as happened in the final and there wasn't a lot left there yeah yeah
0: yeah talking about great players who like Nearly, nearly get there or who've missed out that probably is like a perfect segue to go to 2014 and Argentina um, the final I remember very very vividly I'm sure lots of people will kind of have that game and the extra time goal in their heads but would you be able to maybe set up like Argentina and how they got to the final like going through the tournament and I guess particularly Messi's role and involvement in that, in that tournament
1: yeah I mean obviously all eyes are on him Constantly, um, effectively, Argentina wants him to to do what Maradona did. You know, they wanted to to prove himself as an Argentinian as well. That's the other extra layer to it. From Messi is that his critics, it's the lazy, easy way. When he doesn't deliver in the same way that Maradona did, people just complain and say, "Well, he's not really Argentine. He's Catalan more more so now," um, which you know is particularly harsh. Um, but yeah, in that World Cup he'd already had two World Cups so he'd scored once in 2006 as a young lad but then the 2010 World Cup seemed to have been thrown away by Argentina by they seemed to have to have Maradona as a coach at some point yeah we've got to get this out of the way we better do it And it, you know they basically threw their hopes away when Messi was um, obviously <laughs> becoming one of the world's very very best uh, and they, they, they had a lot of talent and it could they could have done more but you know really they, they were all over the place tactically. 2014 should have come at the right spot for Messi. Um, and they had a strong supporting cast to go with it. Uh, they they were a very, very strong team. And what's more, it's in Brazil. Now, Argentina and Brazil, obviously a huge, huge rivalry. This was the stuff of dreams and the stuff of nightmares. So for Brazil, with all the demons they'd had from 1950, to be able to beat Argentina in a World Cup final in Rio, in the Maracanar was their biggest, biggest dream. But equally, that's the biggest danger because that it going wrong would have been their biggest nightmare. As it was, of course, they inflicted a wholly different nightmare on themselves and avoided it. They, they to, to veer off to Brazil a bit, they set themselves in the schedule to avoid the Maracanã mm. throughout the 2014 World Cup. They didn't play there up until the point that they would have had to, which was going to be the final. They... The demons from 1950 were so so big that they didn't want to play in the American in the World Cup until the final. Um, for Argentina, though, the opportunity to win the World Cup in Brazil with the best player in the world, this was uh, this this was everything they could possibly have dreamed of. Um, but it seemed to they, they sort of stuttered their way through a little bit. Now in the group games. Sure they they got through it all fine, but there were several occasions where things just weren't quite flowing right, and then it, it seemed to get towards the end of the game and, and Messi just thought, "Oh, for goodness sake, you know if you guys can't sort it out, I'll <laughs> just do it myself and he just he gets a hold of the ball and he, he he changes it his goal against Iran in particular was 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 magnificent it was this was in stoppage time or at least very, very close to the end uh and he sort of arrows it past. A whole batch of Iranian defenders, it sort of finds its way through and arches just into the top corner beyond the, the despairing dive of the Iranian keeper, who who done magnificently and to to hold Argentina at this point. And it seemed that this was the story of it. You know, when they really, really needed it, up popped Messi, and he was going to deliver. And that just sort of fed the overall narrative for Argentines that this is when it's going to happen. We're just going to uh, we're going to Messi's going to see us through. He's going to come come good at the right moment and get us get us all the way they got through um the the supporting cast helped through some of the knockout rounds Higuain um popping up against Belgium they they needed penalties to beat the Dutch now um, so I'm not arguing this was a great great Argentina side compared mm. to some you know they they didn't get through to the final in a in a swashbuckling uh swathe of glory. But then when you think about it, neither did Germany. With again, we were masked by one, one particular game in the same way I said about Zidane in the 98 mm. final. Germany absolutely they were a great team. But that one game against Brazil, I'm sure, <laughs> an incredible, incredible performance. <laughs> but you forget that they'd struggled too in, in the other games as well. They needed extra time uh and and a bit of help from laser beams to get past Algeria in the last 16. They had a very narrow win over France. Um, you know, so they, they weren't setting the, light, setting the world alight either. And Brazil gave them some sort of a helping hand in the semi-final mm-hmm. by itself imploding. But when it comes to the final, Germany, I, I, I guess, were favourites. And, and I think, ultimately, the, the right team probably won the tournament. But when it comes to the final itself, Argentina should have won that final. They had the better chances. Mm. They, they should have been a man up. Like Manuel Neuer should have been off uh, for the, the foul. It was, it was Schumacher on Batiston style from 1982, <laughs> almost. You know, he shouldn't have been on the field. Uh, and Germany should have been down to 10 men. But still, the best chances fell, fell to Argentina. They fell mostly to Higuain, unfortunately. Mm. And this is where his reputation as a, a big game choker in part comes from and also from several Copper America finals as well it's very very unfortunate you know, they, as he himself said nobody was complaining when he scored the winner against Belgium yeah. but in the final it didn't quite go for him when he'd been set through set through by a German as well uh, who, who'd headed the ball back only for Higuain to pounce on it and fire wide uh, potentially I think he had too much time to think You know, sometimes working on instinct is better um, but others had good chances too Palacio uh, and Messi himself had a great opportunity to score. Um, but it just didn't fall for them. And obviously, Germany got the winner in extra time with Goethe. Um, I think because of the way they, they destroyed Brazil, you kind of think, well, yeah, absolutely, that's the right result. But in the final, Argentina should have won that game. They really, really should. Their, their dreams of, of winning a World Cup in Rio should have come through. And all that carnival that they had on the Copacabana, all the Argentinian songs, singing, singing their songs everywhere, taunting the Brazilians. Uh, it, it was so nearly the perfect story for them. Uh, and yet, you know, those opportunities just went wide. There were several opportunities that they could have had to win. it. There was a huge deference as well to Messi in that team. Mm. Uh, in terms of the way they played, I don't think deliberately so. It wasn't like a policy that, you know, everyone just passed to Messi and hoped for the best. I think that's what Argentina has become in 2018. I think there was a lot of that. Uh, but in 2014, in some players' cases, it just seemed to happen naturally. You know, there was a when there were a goal down in the last couple of minutes of extra time, there were opportunities. Uh, uh, and I think it was Palacios again, he could have shot, he was on the edge of the box, could have shot, but instead he sort of passed the ball out wide to Messi and he overhit it and the ball went out for a throw. And it's Like well, mm. last minute of a World Cup, finally you're training, you're, you're trailing, take it on yourself. Don't just think, oh, I better leave it for Messi. He's the one who saved us in all these games so far. He'll pop up again and save us. It's like, well, not when he's out there and not when you've got the opportunity to shoot. Mm. Uh, so that was frustrating. And Yeah, it, it's... For, for Messi, it's, it's caused him in Argentinian eyes to fail to live up to Maradona. And you no, know, the world has changed. It, when Maradona did it, the opposition, the way the game was, it was, I don't want to say easy, <laughs> obviously, but I think it was easier for one player to dominate in the way that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that is as possible in Messi's time. And it's unfortunate for him that because of his nationality, he's always going to be compared to Maradona. Uh, mm. And it, it, it's like giving you, it's a poison chalice. Like, how can you live up to, to something as great as that? It's, you know, he, he's come damn close, but it's mm. a very, very hard thing to live up to. And if he's only going to be judged by World Cup success um, in Argentinian eyes, then that's, that's very, very harsh.
0: Yeah, it's one of the like, I mean, it's like of all the nearly men, how can like arguably the best player, or the, one of the players who's like done the most of any individual player ever, also not quite be good enough. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot to think about. But I think also that's kind of, I think that's part of the reason I wanted to have this chat and part of the reason I was so excited to read it, which is just like the World Cup is like different and special. And there's so much that goes into it that you just don't get with the kind of, I think like yeah, week to week club football. And even though there are more international breaks and there's more tournaments, and oh yeah, guys, look, the Nations League, like it's just not quite got the same level of um yeah, romance is the word you use. And I think that's I think that's right. There's just there's that little bit that is is that extra exciting. Um and obviously this time of year having a tournament is strange and it's a real problem for football and the world and society that Qatar are hosting a tournament. Um, <laughs> and even with all of that, I'm still, I feel like I'm a kid, like getting ready. I haven't quite got the wall chart yet, but I'm probably
1: not <laughs> far off. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I've got a nine year old son, so I get to sort of voice all that on him and live live some of those elements to him. You you know, the, the sticker book in the wall chart yeah <laughs> like, yeah yeah exactly get him excited that way but it, you know it is going to be weird it is going to be different but at the end of the day you know when you think oh this isn't quite right but when it comes down to it it's a world cup and that's mm-hmm. the magical stories come and it, it's often it takes a bit of time afterwards I think to to end up with, with that sort of greater perspective of how things have gone and how they are at the time you're so caught up in the moment of it. You don't quite see all the bigger stories and bigger pictures. I think it takes a bit of time for those to sort of embed in your mind and, and to see, uh, uh, to see that to see that bigger story sometimes um but yeah I, i'm sure there'll be some there'll be some great stories there'll be some heroic failures and there'll be uh a lot of drama so it's going to be exciting uh no matter what time of year
0: for sure um aiden thanks so much for your time that was uh that was really good fun oh
1: you're welcome josh loved it